Hey, how you doing? Al here. Uh, look, I'll make this really quick. I, I just want to thank you all for your amazing support. It's my understanding that I had over 80 million streams on Spotify this year. So uh, if I'm doing the math right, that means I earned $12. So, uh, you know, enough to get myself a nice sandwich at a restaurant. So from the bottom of my heart, thanks for your support and uh, thanks for the sandwich. From Hypebot, vinyl industry opposes dramatic shift in music store sales reporting. From Billboard, as AI grows, artists and labels consider who owns a voice. Not only that, we're also going to talk about the Senate passing the Fans First Act, fair use and support for federal protections against AI voice cloning and deep fakes, and so much more. It's so true, Jay. We've got so much to talk about. So let us start talking in just a moment, right about now. Stand by for transmission. This is London Calling. Wake up! The revolution is at hand! Your morning coffee is on the air. On the air. On the Your morning coffee, the weekly music news for the new music business. It's the highly curated, agitated, advocated, moderated, and liberated digital music information that you need to know. We are your digital music authority. Now, from our studios in Hollywood, California, here's your hosts, Jay Gilbert and Mike Etchart. Good to see you, Jay, on a Saturday, <laughs> a Saturday in which the Dodgers signed Shohei Otani, which is which is not which is not something you're interested in, but something that I'm very interested in. So it's like well, the day. way you described it to me, it sounds super interesting. That it sounds sort of uh, historical. It is. Um, it is. So that. it is that. And if it brings you joy, my friend, it, br it brings <laughs> oh, me joy. You. How was that uh, that cool little uh, video and audio that, With <laughs> that Weird Al put out? Oh, it was so funny. Oh my God, that cracked me so up. So funny. I love the sarcasm. I love the sarcasm. And uh, he's had quite the career, man. You know, and we, I think you and I talked about this last week. Yeah. I remember yeah. before I think he was even signed, he had a, a single. That was played on radio, at least in San Diego, where I was going to school, and it was another one rides the bus, uh, and you know, with just an accordion, it was it was hysterical. And to uh, Queens, another one. Yes, rides exactly. The dust. Right, right. Sorry. And uh, but you know, to have that, you know, when you have the, the sort of parody things, you would think that that has kind of not really a long shelf life, and yet he exactly. has been doing it for th oh, three. He's defied the odds. He's been at a high level for decades, and he's still absolutely hilarious. Um, you and I had such a great week. Um, talk a little bit about our uh, our interview, uh, which is going to be a special episode this coming week. Um, with Howie and Bill. Well, it was, uh, you know, we did, we, 
we had again we talked a lot before we hit record because it's we have so much in common with those guys and it was so fun and we we're such fans of the book and it was just a blast oh, we should probably mention what the book oh, we is should. it's, it's- Key Changes, The Ten Times Technology Transformed the Music Industry, and it's by Howie Singer and Bill Rosenblatt. And, you know, we had an audio drop a week or two mm-hmm. ago with them, but we knew there was so much more that we uh, we could talk about. Yes, and, and maybe we should do another one in the future because I, 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 when I was, after we hung up, I was driving back to work and thinking, oh my God, I wish we would have talked about this and this and yeah. this. And yeah, what a great book it is too. It, if, you know, we've talked about our desert island books that you really must have yes. on your shelf. And this is absolutely one that must go on that shelf because, or in your lap as you're reading it. It's such a great book. And I learned so much. Oh. And, and as we, we mentioned when we were chatting with them, you know, very, and this is not unique to the music industry, but so few companies give a, a new employee a deep dive, kind of understanding the business and understanding what came and and that informs decisions that are made in the future and what's the classic line those who who refuse to recognize history are doomed to repeat it and there's so much to be learned in that book and it's wonderful anybody who works in the business should read that book read the book and next week we're going to drop a special bonus episode our conversation with uh, Howie and Bill you don't want to miss this one it was really good yeah a lot of fun Another uh, special episode that we have coming up, we're going to record next week, it won't be coming out next week, is our friend Bobby Osinski, and yeah. you've heard us talk about Bobby's work uh, for a, a long time. No, and absolutely. he's written a couple dozen books on uh, producing and engineering and all sorts of things, but he's written this book um, called The Musician's AI Handbook. Indeed. And this groundbreaking book will show you the easy to understand basics of AI, AI AI copyright concerns and gray areas, how to use AI for new song ideas, how to use AI for new lyric ideas, how to use AI plugins (laughs) for EQ, compression, limiting and reverb. And that's not it. There's more. It it also is going to teach you online and uh, plug in AI mastering tools and secrets, how to create music and lyric videos with AI video generators, Mm. how to create top notch graphics with AI image generators, how to use AI chatbots for music marketing and uh, AI prompt engineering secrets for best results and a whole lot more so. Uh, stay tuned for a special conversation with our friend uh, Bobby Osinski. You don't want to miss that one either. No, not at all. And hey, how about this uh, this piece in the ledger with with our friend Glenn Peoples? This is a Spotify's decision to lay off seventeen percent of its workforce, examined in six graphs. And uh, mm. we love the ledger, but boy, oh boy, oh boy, this is. Uh, This is pretty brutal stuff, as it starts by saying Spotify's announcement this week that it was laying off 17% of its global workforce surprised a music business enjoying a renaissance. After all, Spotify ignited the subscription streaming boom that saved the industry, and while the company that companies that depend on the online advertising advertising business go through booms and busts, think of Meta cutting 21,000 jobs since 2022, music business jobs have been relatively safe. Yeah, Spotify's decision to eliminate about 1,500 full-time staffers. It shouldn't come as a surprise, though. You know, as CEO Daniel Ek put it in a letter announcing the layoffs, and it's all in your morning coffee this week, he said, today we still have too many people dedicated to supporting work and even doing work around the work rather than contributing to opportunities with real impact. 
Yeah, over a decade and a half, Spotify pioneered a new model for music subscriptions by prioritizing growth over profit. While on-demand video streaming services such as Netflix frequently raise prices, Spotify left most of its prices unchanged until just last July. Digital music platforms have a notoriously tricky path to profitability, but Spotify's share price soared thanks to a pandemic-era boost to streaming companies, as well as high expectations for its nascent podcasting business. But by, how, by February of 21, as Spotify poured money into acquisitions and pricey podcasting content, the stock was trading at $364 and change per share, valuing the company at roughly $71 billion. Yeah, but by two, uh, 2022, um, Spotify's investors, they'd run out of patience. The stock was trading at $110 on June 8th when uh, Daniel Eck and CFO Paul Vogel shared an ambitious plan uh, at the company's Investor Day presentation, $100 billion in annual revenue, 40% gross margin, and 20% operating margins. But to get there, Spotify would continue to scale its podcasting business and lean on its audio content acquisitions, The Ringer, Parcast, Megaphone, and Anchor, you know, to help the format reach larger audiences. Now, Spotify also wants to do for audiobooks what it did for podcasts, you know, piggyback on its massive base of music users, uh, develop innovative products, and build a bigger market. And if you want to read, this is just an excerpt uh, from Glenn Peoples' uh, newsletter, The Ledger. Yeah, I was going to say, I, and, you know, having been on the other end of laying, of being laid off, I, I, my sympathies go out to the 17% of its global workforce that did get laid off. And that is a bummer. That is a Yeah, bummer. and I don't know if you read that story, but Paul Vogel you know, I think it was more optics than anything else. I don't think he did anything that was nefarious, but he, when the stock, when they did the layoffs, the stock went up and he cashed out millions of dollars uh, in stocks and uh, they let him go. So he's no longer with the company. He was their CFO. And again, um, I think that was just more uh, bad timing than, uh, and the optics involved in that. So great uh, ledger uh, newsletter this week. Yes, indeed. Well, how about the Senate passing the Fans First Act, Jay? That's pretty interesting. Yeah, that was, uh, we, you and I were talking about this Recording Academy statement um, that was released, and I thought this was super interesting. It says, it's been a productive week for ticketing reform in Congress. And the Recording Academy, it, they're encouraged by the steps being taken by our nation's leaders to protect artists and fans from dangerous ticketing practices. And you and I talk about this a lot. Thursday, the Senate introduced the Fans First Act, a giant step forward in fixing our broken ticket marketplace, which aims to improve transparency and limit de deceptive practices. So Harvey Mason Jr., who's the CEO of the Recording Academy, said with the uh, introduction of the Fans First Act today, the Recording Academy applauds Senators Klobuchar, Cornyn, Blackburn, Lujan, Wicker, and Welch for taking this important step towards comprehensive ticketing reform. As we work together to improve the, ticketing, the ticket marketplace, we urge Congress to act on this bill quickly and continue its effort to protect both artists and fans by increasing transparency and limiting bad actors that take away from the joyous experience of live music. Yes, sir. Additionally, earlier this week, I think on Wednesday, the House Energy and Commerce Committee passed the ticketing reform bill out of committee. The bill includes many reforms that we've been pushing for, but doesn't include a critical provision regarding ticket price transparency. 
And they say, while we are encouraged that Congress remains committed to reforming the broken ticket marketplace, the bill that passed by the House Energy and Commerce Committee fails to include necessary protection for artists and fans regarding ticket price transparency. Uh, the Academy's full response to this can be found at their socials, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Facebook. But uh, it'll be interesting to follow this and see where we go with it. Yeah, we're going to see where this ticketing reform goes. Another big announcement this last week was, um, I'll just read you the headline. It was A2IM, Recording Academy, and RIAA hit back at false, quote-unquote, binary choice presented by AI companies and their surrogates. The subheadline was a copyright office filing takes apart sham arguments on fair use and urges support for federal protections against AI voice cloning and deep fakes. So in response to AI companies' unsubstantiated claims that copying of creative works in the ingestion or training of AI constitutes fair use, the music organizations responded, and quote, the first principle of copyright is to promote human creative endeavors. That purpose is served by protecting human creators from having their works used to develop generative AI models that threaten to displace human creators by producing outputs that do not embody human creativity while supplanting works of human creativity in the marketplace. Such uses will rarely, if ever, be fair uses. Yeah, the filing also urges support for federal legislation that creates a uniform nationwide baseline to ensure that AI systems can't unfairly exploit artist expression, creative contributions, voices, and likenesses without their consent. Legislation that seeks to protect against AI voice cloning and deepfakes is currently under consideration in the U.S. Senate. Similar legislation is expected to be introduced shortly in the House of Representatives. Uh, in addition, A2IM, Recording Academy, and the RIAA asked the office to, number one, reaffirm that only works of human authorship are entitled to copyright protection, not synthetic content output by an AI system based on prompts. Right. And number two, support non-copyright legislation that creates mandatory record-keeping and disclosure standards so that the copyright owners will have access to the data that they need to enforce their rights. And number three, support legislation to create an administrative subpoena process and evidentiary presumption to acquire such records. Yeah, and number four, support market-based licensing solutions and reject government-driven approaches such as statutory or extended collective licensing for AI developers. And number five, oppose any proposed text and data mining exceptions for AI. Uh, and boy, more to come on this hot topic. It's, it's, it's coming Ooh. fast and furious, isn't it? Yes, it, it sure is. You know, you and I have been talking so much over the last few months about super serving the super fan. And mm -hmm. there have been a lot of articles about it. And this, this last week, I, I had a really interesting conversation that you and I were talking about earlier with Jaquel uh, Amancona Horton, and she is the founder and CEO of Fave. It's a new social platform and marketplace dedicated to just that, empowering superfans. So the platform has attracted a number of fandoms, including Taylor Swift Swifties, Bruno Mars Hooligans, and the BTS Army, fans of K-pop outfit BTS, 
whose label Hybe is an early backer of Fave. Uh, Horton has been listed among Forbes 30 Under 30 and was recently named the most pioneering online media businesswoman of 2023 by Acquisition International. Fast Company named Fave one of the world's most innovative companies of 2022. Yeah, last month, Fave launched this thing called FanFinder. It's a new AI-supported tool for artists and their teams, and it enables them to sort of identify and reach out to their biggest super fans. And, you know, Jaquel is a, she's a force of nature. I don't know anyone that understands super fans better than she does. Um, so let's listen into our, uh, our recent conversation. Jaquel, good to see you. Good to see you too, Jay. Um, before we get into Fave and how you're using AI with FanFinder, tell our listeners about you uh, and specifically your years at Google slash YouTube. Sure. Yeah. Happy to. And, and thank you so much for having me on. Um, so yeah, I spent uh, almost eight years, about seven and a half years at, at Google in total. Most of that time was at YouTube. And there I was driving the creator experiences, the fan engagement experiences, um, uh, and a lot of the analytics experiences where we would build, you know, these incredible tools for creators, but I would always see that there was such a gap in the experiences for the audience, right? So many things were commoditized. There was a lot of um, things that seemed so simple that the viewer should do, but really what was on the other side weren't just viewers, but were fans and better yet, super fans of these folks. So that experience, I would say, of building and iterating and learning all of these different problems just opened me to realize that a lot of untapped problems that I was hearing were not uh, getting solved. And it very much compelled me to, to, to go um, so outside of the, the the YouTube experience, the other half of it was at uh, the Google Assistant. Um, and this was kind of housed under both the Google search and entity and the assistant. And here I was driving a lot of the technology that was behind uh, the Google search, the, the homepage on the phone for Google and the Google Assistant homepage. And so this was both trying to bring up the best piece of information based on what you asked it, right? A lot of what we experience now with, with ChatGPT, but of course through voice or text there. Um, but also to predict. And this is where I particularly focused on is the predictions, the automations that were there. And so I'd say both of this experience here, uh, and of course, doing a lot of that in, in the analytics suite at YouTube, all poured into uh, what I'm now building. Wow. And I'm so glad that you brought up super fans because the music industry is waking up to super serving the super fan, but you've been focusing on this for years. Tell us about Fave and your recent launch of FanFinder. Sure. Um, so passionately building this platform called Fave, which is dedicated to superfans, what we allow for it to do is to gather this community of incredible energy and might and allow fans to showcase all of the activity that they're doing. And so this is everything from you know, the typical uh, streaming, listening, viewing, social, et cetera, but also very non, uh, I, I, actually, I wouldn't even call it non-typical. It's extremely typical, but they go uncaptured, right? But I would say the the not less talked about kinds of things outside of the fandom world. You know, these are things like, do you have a tattoo of your favorite artist that you may think is just a butterfly, but is actually a lyric that means something to you? Uh, or do you have this outstanding merch collection that just collects dust? Or do you, you know, create custom Nike shoes for 
uh, either your, your your friends around you or have a huge business around these custom Nike shoes that are uh, representing your favorite artist. And so we capture all of these nuanced activities that I would say often are a stronger sign of your fandom. And we combine all of that and do a few things with them. Um, one, we uh, provide uh, these experiences to engage these fans more deeply and to recognize them, right? We see all of this amazing activity that you're doing. How do we allow you to, to earn points, to earn badges, to celebrate these moments, to do them together with other fans you can meet on the platform, right? So that's one thing. We reward it. Um, the other thing is we connect you with people who are like-minded. We see, you know, a, a huge, millions of followers on an account or, you know, all the Swifties or all the Harrys or all the, you know, this. And it's these huge groups and people want to find their people, even within these subgroups, right? It's, you know, who are the vets who have been around since this era? Or, you know, who are the people who are also doing fan art who live near me? And so we connect people based on the nuanced activity that they have to draw even deeper connections. And there we've seen incredible uh, results, I would say, just going a level deeper based on these activities. And then we do other things like we uh, allow it to have a trusted marketplace and be the kind of basis of reputation in that marketplace, right? Where you can have safe transactions to buy and sell things from other fans. This was another kind of seeing all of the problems that existed, all the scattered, all the scamming, all the just mistrust that that's out there and pulled it into one place where people can tap on the profile of someone and see their resume as a fan and go, oh, okay, so you, you do, you did go to that concert too. Oh, you are a real fan. You have been a fan since 2013. I will buy this resale merch from you, right? You're not trying to, to rip me off things like this. And then we also now to your point around fan finder have realized that we can use this powerful data and insights in order to answer some of the biggest questions that the industry has been asking. And yes, we have been, you know, on this kick for years, right? Banging down doors, telling them you need to pay attention to the top 20% of your customers. You wouldn't think you would need to say that. But we have been sharing that. And I'm so glad to see, I will say, that people are now realizing that opening up and exploring many more ways to do so. So with FanFinder, we allow people to see these activities that fans have done, both in aggregate across your fandom so that you have a much more uh, nuanced picture and descriptive picture of what your fans are actually doing. But we also allow you to see this on a per fan level so that you can identify the fans that you think you would need for either a, a certain campaign or if you want to target them with specific opportunities that are right for them, right? Uh, or to get in contact with them to also reward them or to do, you know, something specific there. And so, you know, this is being able to see, hey, this is Catherine. She lives in Puerto Rico, she's also a fan artist, you know, but she's never purchased a piece of merch. So how do you, you know, allow her to maybe get a 10% discount or work with, you know, other fans to be able to pull something together to, to design something for her, right? These kinds of things that allow you to see that one person, but also the group of 50 people that may apply to a certain criteria that you're looking for, um, or again, kind of a, a fandom as a whole to find out what they're doing, when they're doing it, at what frequency, how often, right? It's it's just this um, 
demystification of of your fandom right yeah um, so we're yeah. thrilled at, at this so far I, I think a lot of people have you know shared shared things like where have you been for the last 25 years <laughs> or you know like <laughs> this is the top question that we ask in any you know meeting at, at the label right now like this is what we need and I would say it's really these quite simple questions of like who is listening to this artist who has listened to this song Right. And these these things are still uh, a debate. Right. And so we're, we're excited to be able to bring a lot of um, insight um, and clarity to this and, and do do much more. Right. This is just the start. Yeah. Thank you for breaking that down for us. I'm really looking forward to our next conversation. Jaquel, always a pleasure. Thanks for joining us. Of course. Thanks. Wow, absolutely interesting. By the way, if anyone is interested in testing FanFinder or working with Fave, you can email Jaquel. We're going to put that in the show notes, so it'll be there if you want to jump in and check it out. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. All right, let's jump into our stories. The first one is from Hypebot. Vinyl industry opposes dramatic shift in music store sales reporting. And boy, you and I have been talking about this for weeks. It's really heating up. Uh, for those that don't know or haven't heard, you know, Luminate is... Um, they're, they have these new rules where they're only going to take in actual sales numbers from these indie retailers. Um, in the past, they've used sort of a waiting um, process to, you know, take a small group of them, maybe four or five percent, and extrapolate out what those numbers are. So, starting in the first week of 2024. Luminate says that data on vinyl, CDs, and cassettes will reflect only sales at indie stores in the United States and Canada that participate in their new program. Until now, because only a small number of record stores report, sales have been algorithmically adjusted to get a more accurate number of total sales. But that could mean that sales from 95% of independent stores will go unreported. Sure. They say with less than 5% of independent physical retailers currently reporting directly to Luminate, the data collected will be a grossly inaccurate representation on the sales of physical products and therefore the overall size and strength of the industry, according to a joint statement from the VRMA and Vinyl Alliance. They continue, the Vinyl Alliance. They continue to say there will be an immediate break between the market reporting by the RIAA and the IFPI, both important and global recognized industry organizations. Right. And let's let's dig into that joint statement. Okay. Uh, the Vinyl Record Manufacturing Association, that's a VRMA that you just mentioned, and the Vinyl Alliance, they've joined forces to voice their combined concern uh, to Luminate's upcoming changes to reporting methods for independent physical retailers. Right. So this fall, Luminate, the entertainment industry's preeminent data and insights company and Billboard's data partner, announced that starting week one of 2024, data on physical sales, we're talking vinyl, CDs, and cassettes, will reflect a direct represent, representation of those reported from indie retailers in the United States and Canada, which have agreed to participate in their new program. Historically and currently, these sales are algorithmically determined due to the very small number of record stores contributing to the weekly sales activity, acting as the representative base for the entirety 
of the indie retail market segment. This change is a dramatic departure from the current practice and one that will unfairly minimize numbers, creating a seismic change and providing true insight into the importance and scope of both physical media and independent retailers and their impact on the makeup of the music business landscape. The joint statement from the VRMA and Vinyl Alliance is as follows. They started out by saying, we at the VRMA and the Vinyl Alliance are committed to both accurate data and reporting, with less than 5% of independent physical retailers currently reporting directly to Luminate. The data collected will be grossly inaccurate representation on the sales of physical products, and therefore the overall size and strength of the industry. There will be an immediate break between the market reporting by the RIAA and the IFPI, both important and globally recognized industry organizations. Reviewing current data, the overall U.S. physical market report, could be reduced by as much as 40% in units and 35% in value in retail dollars. Uh, They continue to say this break from the historic measurement process will have many consequences, most notably the decimation of market share currently held by independent retail. This reduction will have an immediate effect and the downward perception of the value of the market will reverberate around the globe. We agree that accuracy is the goal and with the proper amount of time dedicated to onboarding an expansive list of new independent retail reporters, we will arrive at the desired destination, an accurate measure of the market confirming the most popular artists in any given chart week. Yeah, the sale of vinyl records has seen continual growth year over year for the past 16 years. Last year in 2022 was the first time in over 30 years that vinyl records surpassed the sales of CDs. In the U.S., vinyl sales year-to-date for 2023 in the U.S., as reported by Luminate, are up 18.4% from the uh, previous period. There are currently 52 pressing plants in the United States that are conservatively producing about 193 million discs per year. Globally, the annual number is 360 million and change, with close to 200 plants targeted to be online by the first quarter of 2024. Wow. Uh, The continued growth in vinyl sales was the impetus for starting the association, says VRMA president and chief creative officer of hand-drawn pressings, Dustin Blocker. This new reporting would be a widely imprecise reflection of the popularity of physical products and the strength of the industry as a whole, with the potential to have a large ripple effect on not just pressing plants, but the entire vinyl value chain. We have over 50 members from across the industry, which include half the pressing plants in the United States, but also audio companies, plating, mastering, print, packing, technology, record labels, and of course, record stores, all of whom would be affected. Right. And and Michael Kurtz, who's a co-founder of Record Store Day and Vinyl Alliance member, he said that the most devastating thing that any corporation could do to an artist, a record label, a vinyl manufacturer, or a record store is to take, take away the sale of an album. All of the resolve of the artist, all of the passion of the artist, all of the efforts to bring the artist's creation to their fans by their record label, vinyl manufacturer, and distributor, all of the hard work by the record store to support the artist, all of it, are all zeroed out by Luminate and Billboard with this change. It will not increase the accuracy in reflecting sales, but only create more doubt of the legitimacy of Billboard's charts. 
So according to people close to the matter, over this year, Luminate has reached out to the retailers multiple times to let them know that this change would be coming. Luminate is offering help in getting indie retailers on board because they want the most accurate data as possible. They also created a new data partners page on their website that has step-by-step instructions and a video tutorial. Yeah, and, and like we said, less than 5% of indie retailers are reporting uh, physical sales today. Um, Luminate has countered that the reporting from these stores, an estimated 72 stores out of 1,400, that that represents the vast majority of all U.S. and Canadian indie music store sales. Uh, A2IM, which is the American Association of Independent Music, they're calling on Luminate just to pause the implementation until store adoption exceeds 75%. So... Wow, it's a, it's a tough situation right now. Yes, and I don't know where that's going to land, but I hope it works out. And, uh, you know, and it, it, it harkens back to basically the changeover from reporting to Billboard charts to having SoundScan back in 1991. That was also a, a bumpy ride, to say the least. Uh, I remember it well. Yes, I'm sure you do. So we'll see where that lands. But by the way, before we jump to our next story, Jay, we got to reach out and thank our sponsors. What do you say? <laughs> we get rolling and we just kind of space I out, know, quite man. frankly. We get caffeinated, we get talking, <laughs> right. and we just go too darn fast. But let's jump back and say, hey, uh, the Your Morning Coffee podcast is brought to you by our friends over at Banzoogle. Built by musicians for musicians, Banzoogle is an all-in-one platform that makes it easy to build a beautiful website and EPK for your music. All the features you need for a professional website are already built in. Hosting in a custom domain name, dozens of fully customizable design templates, tools to sell your music and merch commission-free, commission-free crowdfunding and fan subscription features, mailing list tools to grow your fan list and send newsletters, social media integrations, and live support from their musician-friendly team seven days a week. Your Morning Coffee podcast listeners can jump over to bandzoogle.com and try it free for 30 days. Just use the promo code MORNINGCOFFEE, all one word, to get 15% off the first year of any subscription. That's bandzoogle.com promo code morning coffee yeah and let's say a big thank you to our friends over at hypebot since 2004 hypebot hey you know what we were talking about their 20th anniversary is coming up we got to do something special for them since 2004 hypebot has chronicled the new music industry and the trends and technologies that are really changing how music is discovered consumed marketed and monetized Edited daily by founder Bruce Houghton with help from Alana Bonilla, Hypebot and sister blog Music Think Tank are published by live music discovery and marketing platform Bands in Town. You betcha Bands in Town. Over 80 million live music fans trust Bands in Town to get personalized concert alerts, recommendations, and messages from their favorite artists. It's the number one artist service platform connecting over 590,000 artists with their super fans, managers, labels, agencies, and artists access their own dashboard to manage and promote their tour dates across all platforms. Yeah, and finally, the Music Business Association. They host an annual slate of in-person and virtual events. So industry professionals across the globe, they can all come together and discuss hot-button issues and support the growth of the entire music business community. So join us in uh, Nashville for the Music Biz 2024 conference, May 13th, through the 16th at the JW Marriott. We'll we'll see you there. Indeed. Big thanks to Banzoogle, Hypebot, Bands in Town, and the Music Business Association. And, of course, big thanks 
to my good friend Jay Gilbert. Every week, Jay and I get to hash and kibitz and have a lot of fun talking about all this stuff. He's a music industry consultant. He's the curator of the weekly Your Morning Coffee newsletter and a former executive with Universal Music, Sony Music, Warner Music Groups, and a damn sharp dresser. Oh, thank you so much. And uh, my good friend over here is Mike Etchart, longtime host of Sound and Vision Radio, formerly of SST Records, Warner Music, Capital EMI, and Universal Music Group. Indeed. Well, what do you say we jump into our second story, Jay? It's from Billboard. Uh, as I, excuse me, as AI grows, artists and labels consider who owns a voice. Wow. It says some record deals may cover voice rights in quotation marks, um, that could be used for artificial intelligence. Artists are now negotiating for clarity and exceptions. This is super interesting. And again, this is just another great piece uh, by Elias Late. It is indeed. Uh, You may recall back in April, Grimes encouraged artists to make music using her voice. Mm -hmm as replicated by artificial intelligence-powered technology. Even as she embraced a high-tech future, however, she noted there were some old-fashioned legal limitations. She said, I don't own the rights to the vocals from my old albums. If you make remixes, they may get taken down. (laughs) That's surprising. Um, Artificial intelligence has dominated the hype cycle of 2023. Amen. Um, But most signed artists who are enthusiastic about testing out this technology will have to move very cautiously, wary of the fact that pre-existing contracts may assert some level of control over how they can use their voice. Makes sense, right? Quote, in general, in a major label deal, they're the exclusive label for name, likeness, and voice under the term, says one veteran manager who spoke on the condition of anonymity. Labels might be mad if artists went around them and did a deal themselves. They might go, hey, wait a minute. We have the rights to this. On the flip side, labels probably can't or won't move move unilaterally either. Uh, The same person, I think, said, in our agreements in a handful of territories, we've been getting exclusive name, image, likeness, and voice rights in connection with recordings for years. This is one major label source. That said, as a practical matter, we wouldn't license an artist's voice for a voice model or for any project without the artist being on board with it. As this person said, it would be bad business for us. Yeah, that's an understatement. Yeah, for the moment, both sides are sort of inching forward, trying to figure out how to you know, interpret new technologies with arcane laws. Aaron Sachs, who manages several artists, you know, he puts it, it's an odd time because the government hasn't stepped in and put down real guidelines around AI. Um, actually, that was a Dan Smith, general manager of the dance label Armada Music. That means guidelines must be drawn via pre-existing contracts, most of which were not written with AI in mind and often vary from one artist to the next. Take a recent artist deal sent out by one major label and reviewed by Billboard. Under the terms, the label has the, in quotation marks, exclusive right to record artist performances with performance broadly defined to include singing, speaking, or such performance itself as the context requires. The word recording is similarly roomy. Any recording of sound by any method and on any substance or material, whether now or hereafter known. Wow, we're going to have to get some of our uh, music industry attorney friends on because there's so much uh, going on here and we just... We haven't landed the plane as far as some of these rules and regulations and guidelines. And 
Someone in this deal probably couldn't easily go rogue and build a voice cloning model on newly recorded material without permission, even to participate in YouTube's recently announced AI voice generation experiment. Some artists needed to get permission in a form of a quote unquote label waiver, according to Audrey Benalid, uh, a partner at Myman Greenspan, Fox Rosenberg, Mobasser, Younger and Light. Boy, that's a lot of names. In an interview, you know, about YouTube's new feature, uh, Dennis uh, Hasibis, uh, CEO of Google DeepMind, said only that it's compli- it's been complicated uh, to negotiate deals uh, with various music rights holders. Even after an artist's deal ends, if their recordings remain with a label, they would have to be careful to only train voice cloning tech with material that isn't owned exclusively by their former record company. Boy, the plot thickens. It does. It's not just artists, though, that are interested in AI opportunities. Record labels stand to gain from developing licensing deals with AI companies for their entire catalogs, which could in turn bring greater opportunities for artists who want to participate. At the Made on YouTube event in September, Warner Music Group CEO Robert Kinsel said that it's the label's job to make sure that artists who lean into AI benefit. At the same time, he added, it's also our job together to make sure that artists who don't want to lean in are protected. (laughs) Right. In terms of protections, major label deals typically come with a list of approval rights. Artists will ask that they get the chance to sign off on any sample of their recordings or the use of one of their tracks in a movie trailer. Quote, we believe that any AI function is just another use of the talent's intellectual property that would take some approval by the creator. That makes sense. And, and that was a, a quote from Leron Rogers, partner at Fox Rothschild. In many states, artists also have protection under the right of publicity, which says that people have control over the way others can exploit their individual identities. Under that umbrella is where things like the right to your voice, your face, your likeness are protected and can't be mimicked because it's unfair competition, says Lulu Panton, founder of Loop Legal. But because those laws are not federal, they're inconsistent, and every state's laws are slightly different. Not all states specifically call out voices, for example. So there's concern that that's not going to provide robust protection, given how ubiquitous AI has become already. And then it says in quotation marks, a lack of federal law also limits the government's ability to push for enforcement abroad. Yeah, and to that end, a bipartisan group of senators recently introduced a draft proposal of the No Fakes Act, and we've talked about this a little bit, which would enshrine a federal right for artists, actors, and others to take legal action against anyone who creates unauthorized digital replicas of their image, voice, or likeness. Artists would now gain leverage they didn't have before, says Mike Pelsinski, Uh, former VP of strategy at SoundCloud who serves on the advisory board of the company Voice Swap AI. While the entertainment industry tracks no fakes progress, Smith from from Armada believes we will probably start to see more artist agreements that are addressing the use of your voice. Sure enough, Ben Waldick says that in the new label deals for her client, she now asks for approval over any use of an artist's name, likeness, or voice in connection with AI technology. Express written approval should be required prior to a company reproducing vocals, recordings, or compositions for the purpose of training AI platforms, agrees Matthew Gorman, a lawyer at Cox & Palmer. 
Yeah. Such a great piece by Elias Late. Um, this is such a hot topic right now. And, you know, you and I have been talking about this a lot lately. There's a little bit of confusion in the marketplace because we have some very well-known industry attorneys and experts saying that anything that is created with AI, you know, can't be copywritten. Mm -hmm. But it's more complicated than that. You know, when we talk to some of our other friends that are music industry attorneys, they're saying that, Either A, we can use the current laws that are on the books, like for sampling for some of these things, but B, that if you're drawing from someone's body of work, that, you know, there's a there's a gray area there. They need to have these laws in place. And they're slowly sort of, you know, coming out. But this came up on us so fast. You know, we we talked last week how we we've been talking about AI for years. I mean, it, we, we were talking about it at uh, the Music Tectonics Conference five years ago, and Martin Clancy had his book eight years ago. But we all thought it was sort of futuristic, mm -hmm. you know, that this was going to be down the road. <clears throat> and all of a sudden, it's, you know, it's in the mainstream now. People are talking about it everywhere. Well, and there's just so many elements and components to what AI is. You know, you can talk about the training, you can talk about deep fakes, you can take about, talk about all kinds of different things. And it is, I mean, it is so broad that that's really makes it so complicated. And I yeah, think that's a good uh, point because you were talking earlier about, you know, the Bobby Osinski uh, book and some of those topics, we read off 10 things that AI yes. can do and that's just scratching the surface. Yes, absolutely. So uh, to say we'll, we will be monitoring this is a considerable understatement. It's going to certainly occupy so many things we talk about over the next several years. But on that note, we got to wrap up the episode. So we do want to thank everyone for listening in. If you enjoy our show, we would certainly appreciate it if you tell just one friend. We just one. Just one. That's all we say. And of course, a big thanks to Banzoogle, Hypebot, Bands in Town, and the Music Business Association. We could not do it without their undying support, and we appreciate yeah. that as well. So we hope everyone has a wonderful week. Thanks for listening in this week, and Jay and I will be back, not coincidentally, next week for the next episode of the Your Morning Coffee Podcast. You've been listening to Your Morning Coffee, the weekly music news program for the new music business. Join Jay Gilbert and Mike Etchard next time for the digital music news you need to know.